ciudad. Revive the kingdom and power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. And my name's Marshall. Marshall, would you like a brownie? <laughs> An incredibly delicious brownie. I had two of them last night already. Mm, I didn't have one last night, so. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, Riley made those for the youth group. Riley made one, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best brownies. They're really, really good. And they got little mini like Reese's Pieces or mm-hmm. M&M's or whatever they are on top. Yeah. Yeah. Riley was so highly offended that I didn't eat one last night. She was. <laughs> so I'm going to eat one on the podcast. There you go. Mm, thank you, Riley. Yeah. I don't Delicious. Know. I don't even know if she listens to the podcast. Delicious. <laughs> it's at the very beginning. Okay. So Alex will hear so it. So Alex will hear it when he goes to edit. <laughs> When he listens to the first two and minutes. And then he'll the make sure she minutes. listens to it tomorrow. Oh, man. Speaking of, okay, last week we had a, a shorter episode. Like, not ridiculously short, but just shorter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Alex just assumes that we're all, there was going to be an hour. So when we're done, last week's episode, there is a solid nine minutes of silence. Before the outro? No, there's the outro, and then there's just, oh. like, on the recording, there's just, like, nine minutes. Of, it's just an interesting... Nice. Yeah, I was like, what's going Something on? Something with the template. I was listening to it in my car, and I was like... You know, maybe, maybe, maybe I wonder it's just, if it, it's a Selah. It's a Selah. Just, just reflect on Stop this. Stop and reflect. <laughs> yeah. All right. Mm. So we've gone through logical proofs of God mm-hmm. so far. Yeah. I would say arguments for the existence of, of God. From natural revelation. Right. Yeah. And, and not just like any supernatural being, but a being who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good. Right. right? And uh, in that, we we addressed a lot of the arguments against mm-hmm. along the way. Sure. Because arguments for and arguments against naturally marry each, up, each other pretty well, by and large. Mm-hmm. Today, there's a little bit of a different take. One argument against... I shouldn't have had that brownie. (laughs) One argument against uh, that doesn't necessarily come with a an argument for, right? It 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 kind of stands alone and and is probably one of the most difficult things as far as just what people grapple with. Oh, for sure. Uh, so today's episode's a big episode. We need to talk about this. What is what is the this that we need to talk about? We're going to talk about the problem of evil. Why do bad things happen? Right? And this is a question that like a lot of a lot of people will pose, right? If God is so good, right? If we if we've established that we believe in a God who knows all things and can do all things and is always good, then why is this world not always good? Right? And historically, people have kind of used that, that problem of evil, that type of question to argue against the existence of the God of the Bible. And there's different ways of posing that question, that problem of evil, and we're going to get into that. But the first question is like, okay, how, how can we define evil? Like, what does evil mean? Right. So I looked up some definitions, Merriam-Webster, uh, morally reprehensible. 
something causing discomfort or revulsion. Um, somewhere else it was defined as anything that causes pain or suffering. That's what evil is to some people. I think there's some 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 problems with that definition, though. Yeah, I think so. Like, is all pain and discomfort evil? No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. I mean, pain lets us know that the stove is hot. Mm-hmm. Is that evil? Right, because without the pain, you would leave your hand there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And possibly do I, serious damage. Yeah, exactly. So is, is pain just whatever makes us go yuck or ow or whatever? Like, is that is it is it that simple? Right. Um, and so even atheist philosophers, when it comes to discussing evil at this level, they've kind of, um, they've narrowed it down. So one, one guy that I was listening to kind of said, okay, no, we'll, we'll talk about evil in the sense that it's grievous harm to innocent victims. That's deliberate and morally unjustifiable. And so that's at least, that's the moral, that's what moral evil is. There's more than right. one kind of evil. Right. But I mean, at least it's getting a little bit more specific there. Uh, there's a bit of a tighter target um, because yeah, if it's just everything that like we just don't like, well, I mean, that's also just so subjective. We can't really pin that down. It's not, it's not a helpful definition. Right. So, so when we talk about types of evil, uh, moral evil is the bad things that mankind would do Mm -hmm. against mankind. Right. Or anything in nature, right? Just evil that would be, chosen and executed by mankind. Mm. Natural evil is tornado, mm-hmm. earthquake, mm-hmm. Uh, those kinds of things that no one made the decision mm. for this to happen. There's no one to blame. Mm-hmm. Some would say there's no one to blame but God Okay, in yep. those situations uh, because that's just what happened, right? So, so when we talk about this... Uh, we we can't be too quick to jump on and say, well, we are all sinners. We choose sin. Sin um, causes pain and suffering. Mm. We are to blame, right? right? Because natural evil uh, steps beyond those bounds, right? Mm. Uh, no one did anything in particular that uh, created the earthquake in Syria and Turkey mm-hmm. last week. So. Mm-hmm. So those are the two kinds of evil. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so the the problem of evil is presented. Um, there's like a logical kind of argumentation around it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's argued that Epicurus, who was a Greek philosopher, first kind of came up with it. Uh, Epicureanism is it's like hedonism light. Yeah. Essentially, it's like you should try to pursue simple pleasures in life and that's what you should do and so it is he was about the avoidance of pain mm-hmm. um he didn't like pain and he saw pain as an issue right so for for him the idea and, and david hume um during the enlightenment kind of picks it up if is god willing to prevent evil but he's just not able well then he's not omnipotent right is he able to prevent evil but just not willing well how can he be good right <clears throat> that's a very simple way of, of articulating the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, or does he not know that it exists? <clears throat> right. He's just naive to it. Uh, that's Bette Midlerism. Is it Bette Midler that sings from a distance? Oh. <laughs> right? It's supposed to be this sentimental, my time, this bro. beautiful sentimental song. Okay. Uh, 
but it, it's really a troubling song. Like if you if you break it down, the song's terribly troubling. I've heard it sung in churches as special music, but it's oh things like goodness. from a distance, you look like my friend, even though we're at war. It's like things aren't good, but don't worry, God's watching us from a distance, right? Which is just to say, things are bad. God's oblivious. <laughs> I don't know why this was ever received as a as a good thing. This is a it's a terrible thing. Yeah. So so there's kind of like there is a way. I'm I'm grabbing this actually from a TGC article here, but there's kind of a six six step process. Very simple. Uh, so this is the this is the premise of the argument. Although I think there's parts of this argument that actually fall flat, but but mm-hmm. to people who use it, they think it's airtight. A perfectly powerful being can prevent any evil. A perfectly good being will prevent evil as far as he can. God is perfectly powerful and good. So if a perfectly powerful and good God exists, there will be no evil. But there is evil. Therefore, God doesn't exist. That is the argument. Okay? Right. There's some issues with that, though. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That we can maybe get into... Well, maybe we don't need to get into it just yet. No, we can talk about the logical problem. Well, so the logical problem is, I think the the first kind of hole that we can poke in it um, is this is the the step two in that in that thing I just outlined that a perfectly good being will prevent evil all the time. Um, How do we how do we know that to be true? Like we're that that we're kind of reading into it. Yeah, it's it's a presumption, right? Mm -hmm. It, It presumes. Uh, it presumes a couple of things. One, it presumes that we have a, a solid take on what is good and evil. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and it presumes that no good can come from, from pain. Mm-hmm. Right? He would, he would always do this. Right. That God would have no good reason. There's no possible reason that he might. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so the idea is, uh, it, it assumes that, God would have no moral reason to allow for pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. But we can't we can't make that argument and make it airtight. Mm-hmm. Right? So for instance, the hand on the stove thing. We can calculate that as evil that does good because it's instantaneous. Mm. Right? We can see how the good plays out from the pain. Right. But if we are going to do that at a God level, we have to have an exhaustive knowledge right. <laughs> of what is and what will be. Right? Right. And so so we're, we're going to talk later about consequentialism. Right? I, I, I want to touch on that. Mm. Uh, I, I, you know what? I'm going to do it here. Okay. Consequentialism is the notion that everything bad happens for a reason and good will always come from it. Mm. Right? So it's not necessarily evil. It's a means to a better outcome. Because, after all, all things work together for good for them who love the Lord and are mm. called according to His purpose. Right? Right? No, we're not consequentialists. That's not how that verse should be interpreted. Mm-hmm. Right? Evil is still in and of itself evil, even if God is able to redeem the outcome. 100%. For example, 
when Adam and Eve take the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and sin enters into the world, Mm. what they did was still wrong Mm -hmm. and condemnable, even though it sets the stage for God to come as man, suffer alongside of us, Mm -hmm. redeem us according to his grace and mercy and for his glory, Mm -hmm. right? The crucifixion itself is still evil. Mm -hmm. Judas is still condemned in scripture for his betrayal. Right. Even if it brings about the atonement for sin and justification for all who would believe. Yeah. The act itself is still evil, even if it can be redeemed. Right. So when we say, when we say that it is, uh, it's not a tight argument to say, all suffering is always bad, and God has no moral reason to allow for this suffering. We're not being consequentialists to say uh, children who were in Turkey during the earthquake, eventually this is going to work out for their good. Mm. Because it's not. Mm -hmm. It's evil. Mm -hmm. Right? There will be some redemptive work of the hand of God in some areas, but the act itself is still evil. Right. And and we're not going to go into this whole like, well, it's almost like the reverse of evolution, right? Well, given enough time and enough circumstances, you could see where it right. would be better for someone. Mm. Um, that's not where we're going to go with this. But also, as a logical argument, we have to acknowledge that we are not we are not knowledgeable enough, mm. exhaustive enough in our knowledge to be able to foresee the outcome of all things and prove that these things, that some pains may not have benefit, right? You can't prove that God may not have a greater moral standard because that could play out hundreds of years from now. Right, right. Yeah, because you're dealing with hypotheticals in yeah, that case. So yeah, so that's one flaw. Yeah, so... so <clears throat> let's look at let's look at ways that like the problem of evil is addressed. Hold on, I got oh. five other assumptions that About I think are in the question. No, con- no, that I think are in the logical problem. Oh, okay, in the logical problem. Well, okay, go ahead then. Yeah, go okay. Ahead. It assumes a moral standard. Oh yeah, no yeah. That, well yeah, that's definitely one. Yeah, we we're going to talk about that. But yeah, like no, I would say yeah. The the idea of like even um, arguing against the existence of God because of evil is a self-defeating question. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it leans heavily on what we talked about last week because there is no such thing as evil without some kind of objective moral standard, right? Right. Evil, evil in, in, in a world without God, in, in a world without a moral lawgiver, right and wrong are entirely subjective. And so what doesn't feel good for you might feel good for someone else, right? So you, you know, you might say, well, why would God allow this, you know, this person to rob me? But the person who robbed you is like, hey, this is sweet, right? Mm-hmm. And if, and if, and if right and wrong, good and evil is purely a subjective thing, well, you have, you have some conflict there, right? So, so again, to, to even assume that, to argue that evil exists, assumes that good exists, right? Right. And so the atheist has to account for the problem of evil in the sense of like, well, on what basis and by what standard do you even believe in evil? 
right? Or is it just like, right? Like, is it evil that, or, it, you know, is there an evil aspect to this whole, like the, the earthquake example that you used, right? Or is it just, well, stuff happens, right? Right. The tectonic plates moved, people died. That's what happens, right? Because that, that's the only consistent atheistic answer. Right. No, it, it is. It, it's a, it's a very, it's, it's the naturalist's answer. Right. Right. This is just, this is just the way things work. Things work this way. Uh, if there was this hypothetical God, it wouldn't work this way, but it does, so therefore that God doesn't exist. But they still become emotional and angry deep down. They realize this is injustice. Mm. And to, to call it injustice, to even have that emotional connection with it, mm. assumes that there is a moral standard that has been violated, mm -hmm. right? So regardless of what a naturalist would say, their emotional response in this proves that there is an understood universal moral standard. Mm -hmm. And evil is the violation of that understood universal moral standard. Right. So either you take this cold naturalist perspective mm. or you have to fall into last week's argument and say, hey, you know what? There is imprinted in all of creation a universal moral code. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes you run into play to people like Dawkins mm -hmm. who will argue absolutely no moral code uh, imprinted on mankind from outside, yet the problem of evil is still a problem. And personally, <laughs> privately, is a philanthropist for things like aid groups for suffering children and stuff right, like that, right? right, right. And, and it's just, it, it's inconsistent. Mm -hmm. It's logically inconsistent. I'm glad that he does those things. Of course, yeah. But it's course. logically inconsistent. Uh, the next one that I would have, because I'm just going to go through mine. Yeah, sure. And clip off yours as they go. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, the naturalist would also say, we are just evolved beings. Mm. Like every other animal, mm -hmm. we have no greater place in this world than anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, but this assumes human worth mm. and their entitlement to avoid harm. Right. Right. Yeah. And and you could you could say well no more so than than dogs and cats and that sort of thing. Mm. I don't think we really feel that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we're arguing for hospitals to be built right. and hospitals to be improved because people need to be cared for. Right. No one's like combing the trees to make sure that squirrel babies are all being perfectly cared for and reproducing <laughs> and that sort of thing, right? right. Like that's not, that's not where the charge is. Right. We understand inside the problem of evil. When people, when people make the argument for problem of evil, it is always around personage. Right? It's mm -hmm. around people as individuals. How can this happen to those people? Mm -hmm. Right? And and it also trails back into innocence, right? Like the more innocent it is, right? Mm -hmm. Maximum security prison hit by an earthquake is a bad thing, mm -hmm. right? A kindergarten is exponentially worse. Right. In just our natural reaction. Yeah. Why? Because we have this written understanding of human worth mm -hmm. and of innocence. Yeah. And these things are uh, denied 
in other uh, other arguments against the existence of God, against the moral code. If you just want to go into raw biology, uh, happenstance, we are mm. chance of evolution. Um, you have to deny these things, but these things are imprinted on us, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it it assumes the exhaustive knowledge of man to say that there is no good that can come. We talked about that one. It assumes that a thrice omni-god, that being all-loving, all-powerful, and all-knowing, uh, would have no reason mm-hmm. for these things. Right. God had reason for Christ to suffer on the cross, right. to bring about the good for all who would believe. Um, most philosophers will grant you the fact that it can't be disproved, that God would have no reason to allow for some sufferings. Um, and it assumes that God didn't make a good world. One of the biggest things people will say is, if he was all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving, couldn't he have created a world where this doesn't happen? Kicker, he did. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that's I think that's probably one of the best Christian arguments, Yeah, is to say, he did do that. Yeah, we wrecked it, and now we're complaining to him about how he let us wreck it. Right. Right? It's like... It's like if I stole my, like as a teenager, stole my mom's car, crashed it, and was like, why'd you let me steal your car, mom? Or, or <laughs> mom, why couldn't, you, why couldn't you drive a car that still has all four wheels attached? <laughs> right? You're like, well, it had all four wheels attached yeah. when you took it. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. But it doesn't anymore. Right, right. And, and I, think, I, I think when we... When we look at the internal aspect of apologetics and we take this away from just trying to win an argument, Mm -hmm. this is one that we have to come back to regularly. Right. We have to remind ourselves, God did make a world that was good. Mm -hmm. Because Christians can fall into this problem of evil as, I would say, more easily than any of the other things that we've talked about so far this year. Mm-hmm. And we can fall into the, well, why, why would God create a world where this would happen? And the answer is he didn't, right? Uh, there's a, a short little snippet of John Lennox talking about the problem of evil. And, and one of the things that I, I noticed in, in getting ready for this this week is all of the people that I listened to made a comment about how often they're asked to speak on this topic, mm-hmm. right? Because it is so, so profoundly present mm-hmm. in society. Why, why the suffering? Mm-hmm. How could this be? Um, Linux's statement on it was, God didn't create a world with suffering. Um, and, then, and then to add on to that, um, William Lane Craig says, you're assuming that a world of people created as robots would be a better world yeah. than a world of people created with free will. Yeah. Well, now we're sneaking into, we're sneaking into stuff we need to talk about. Sure. And so, so we'll, we'll, we'll get in, come back around to that. Uh, and then, and then Linux follows it up to say at the center of Christianity is a cross. 
mm-hmm. and not a God who's ambivalent mm-hmm. to suffering, but who suffers alongside us. Right. 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 So all of these, all of these logical problems to say the Christian God can't exist because evil also exists. Mm-hmm. Either have a Christian answer, or run against their own logical uh, conclusions from previous arguments. Right. Right. And I think that's that's important to understand because there, like a lot of ink has been spilled on how this is argued at a you know a highly academic level right when you get those big names the Dawkins and the Lennox right the William mm-hmm. Lane Craig and all those guys and you sit them down right on a panel you know at some university and they do get out in front of a bunch of PhD students right like and there is a level of where you know Christianity needs to be able to address the problem at that level. But the reality is that for, for us and for the overwhelming majority of the people listening to this podcast, because anyone who's got a PhD in philosophy is miles ahead of where we are. And they're like, these guys are doing kindergarten apologetics and we don't, right. So, but for us, like in our day-to-day lives, we have to understand that like when we're having this conversation, we're having this conversation with real people and their question is coming from a place uh, that's informed by their own personal suffering. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be caring about them as we're having this conversation. Right, right. This is just to dismiss the logical yeah, problem. Yeah. And to be to be honest, the the logic of the problem is arguably being discussed less and less mm-hmm. because the secular philosopher is finding less and less validity in their own argument mm. that such a God could not exist. Right, but to say, I wouldn't think that he would exist, but I can't prove that he would have no greater moral victory in allowing some of these things to happen. Right, and so, so that being the the gotcha mm-hmm. has kind of slowed down the discussion from the logical side, mm-hmm. but it has not slowed down the emotional problem. Yeah, which is sort of the next wave. Mm-hmm. where we go yeah i mean the emotional the emotional problem of evil is just the very real uh situation where where people experience this right people mm-hmm. people like you know you, you can come up with i mean people can tell you personal stories or just things that they're aware of that are just absolutely tragic and devastating and why would god allow those devastating things to happen right like not just you know not just the kind of evil of you know that we would consider commonplace but but really reprehensible, large-scale things that just cut, you know, just cut us to pieces when we hear about mm-hmm. it, right? Um, yeah, why would it, he allow that? If, if I was going to draw, I, I would say all of the things I mentioned exist within the emotional problem as well. They do. Um, especially, number two, that assuming human worth and entitlement to uh, avoid harm if I was going to draw a line to help you understand where we cross over from the logical into the emotional, it would be this. If someone comes into my office with a life's tragedy, a lost loved one, Mm -hmm. a a terrible report from a doctor, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. And they were to say, where is God Mm -hmm. in this? Mm -hmm. Why would he? If I were to sit down and say, well, your question assumes a moral standard, (laughs) a universal moral code imprinted. And so you can't disprove that God exists based on that moral code. And you also can't disprove that such an omnipotent, 
uh, omnipre- uh, <laughs> omniscient, <laughs> omniscient, uh, omnibenevolent God would not have greater moral reasoning for allowing this. If, if that conversation was happening and you were right outside my door doing something and you overheard it, you would open the door and go, Tim, we need to talk. Come here. You're doing this wrong. Right? Right. You need to reach across the table, put a hand on a shoulder and hurt with them. Yeah, weep with those who weep. Right? That is that is where we move from the logical to the emotional. Right. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. I mean, the an- like answering the emotional problem of evil, I think gets into some of the things that that you already touched on already is that, you know, we have a god who steps into history to to deal with suffering directly. Mm-hmm. Right? Um and who can sympathize with our weaknesses and can sympathize with our pain, right? And I think um, that's something that you know, when the time is right, you can you can go there with people um, to assist them. Uh, it it's it's going to feel more valid for believers than non-believers. I mean, non-believers are that's not going to mm-hmm. that answer is not going to resonate with them to the same degree, but it's no less true. I, but but I don't even I don't even know if that's a, an airtight answer for the believer, right? The mm. the why. Right, like sure, I can I can process what he's doing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why doesn't he hurry up and do it? So, what is the answer? Then? Why why has he right, right, allowed right. these things to take place? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think one, it matters that God is. We understand that God is not indifferent. Mm-hmm. We need we need to see that that is unique within Christianity. Mm-hmm. I I think I think what people want to say, uh, they want to pull out the three attributes of the Christian God, and they want to say uh, that he's, his goodness, his omnibenevolence, um, either he doesn't know what's going on, he can't do anything about it, or he himself is not good. He is good. Mm-hmm. And he's connected to our suffering. He, he weeps and is angered by sin. In fact, uh, our boy from PBS... Oh yeah. Uh, who who also is very dismissive. Actually, he's dismissive of both sides when it comes to the problem of evil. Yeah. He's just kind of like universally smug. I don't know. He's just kind of like <laughs> meh. I, I kind of expected last week after we dragged this guy around that someone was gonna come to church and say I found I him. watched the videos <laughs> and this is how I either feel about your interpretation of him, it was unfair or uh, or I agree. Uh, no one's done that. Uh, but in this one, it, it was really funny to me because he attacks the omnibenevolence of God, the goodness of God, mm. by saying, ever read the Old Testament? A couple of people do something wrong, and all of a sudden, God just like wipes them out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hold up. Hold up. <laughs> you want a solution to a problem of evil? <laughs> You've recognized in your own little flippant statement, one, that there's a moral standard for good. Mm-hmm. Two, these people opposed the moral standard of good. Mm-hmm. Therefore, justice must be served. God himself serves that justice. Right. And you're like, that's bad. <laughs> that itself is evil. <laughs> right? Which I know it doesn't handle things like natural evil and stuff like that. Sure, I'm not sure, saying it's yeah. an airtight argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying in that little slip, he came against his own argument and the kind of things that would he would have to backpedal out of that if he were in a conversation with someone other than a camera. Right. I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I think all that those guys' videos, especially surrounding the existence of God, 
uh, whether it's arguments for or against. He's just kind of like, ah, here's what it is, but uh, whatever. I'm, I'm, you know, he just seems like he's ready to move on, move on. Yeah, like, yeah, from yeah. The time, from the second he starts, he's like, I'm telling you guys this because this is how it was planned out, but I'd rather not talk. I'm about ready this. to get into the stuff I want to talk yeah, about. I want to talk about yeah. more obscure things like utilitarianism and ex- existentialism, existentialism and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so Christians need to understand God's not indifferent. Yeah. We don't have to subtract that omnibenevolence from his character. Uh, because he does step in, he does care, he is intimately concerned, he is fixing the problem, mm. as you said. Um, maybe he's not fixing it on your time frame, mm-hmm. right? Maybe that's an issue. Maybe that's the question that you're asking, mm-hmm. right? Uh, why didn't he fix this before, or why why is he not fixing it now. I, I think then we go back to William Lane Craig's what about assuming that maybe God has a moral reason for this, right? Right, A greater moral reason for this. Um, had he redeemed the world thousands of years ago, you wouldn't be part of it. Mm-hmm. You would be left out of that opportunity to live in that perfect relationship with your God. Mm-hmm. Maybe that itself is reason enough for the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have to ass- make sure that we're not assuming that man would be more enamored with God if they didn't need him. Right. Look at your own hearts, right? On an individual level, and I understand this doesn't cover everything. I understand you want to throw back to children and earthquakes mm-hmm. in Syria mm-hmm. and in Turkey but for for my own individual heart, if everything was good, would I be more likely to call upon God mm. to recognize my absolute dependence on Him, or would I just carry on? Right. Right. So when I'm examining my own personal suffering, that's something that I have to calculate. I think back to the proverb that says, give me my daily bread, Mm. not so much that I would say, who is God, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because I would. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think those are some of the calls to the the more individual side of it, our Mm -hmm. side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, You have any thoughts on those? Uh, no, I mean, you, you, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because you took this conversation in a very different direction than I thought we were going to go today, but that's actually okay. a good thing because it, it's actually a whole side of things, um, uh, that I, I got side rail. I got, I went down all these other bunny trails. So yeah. I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to join me. Yeah. Yeah. Let's bunny. do it. We got time. So for me, I was like, I was just curious. We, we've kind of picked the, the question like the problem of evil question apart. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of falls like just from what we've discussed already, like the question kind of falls apart from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But I was always very, I was curious though, as to like how have people actually answered this question? Right. Right. Christians and non-Christians, right? Cause it's obviously we're going to, we're going to spend more time looking at how Christians have answered this question, sought to answer this question. But like, I was just kind of curious as to like, okay, where do people, yeah. how, how do people, reconcile the existence of evil 
right in, in the world around them and it's interesting because there's a lot of different there's a lot of different views um th- there's the view of like plato and and the interesting thing about plato is that plato we've talked about this like a lot of early church fathers were like big fanboys of plato mm-hmm. they loved plato oh, yeah. they were like if any non-christian ever got like dangerously close to the gospel it was plato right and actually if you read some of plato you'll understand where they're coming they're coming from yeah aristotle a little bit too yeah aristotle's more yeah aristotle's more consumed with the the here and now mm-hmm. where plato's more more interested in kind of higher truths truths that exist outside of things that we can just see and touch and feel yeah just saying he he comes up in a lot of christian philosophy aquinas likes aristotle yeah Augustine likes Plato. Yeah. But anyways, and both those guys are, are awesome. But um, so he would say that evil is the absence of good, right? Which a lot of these answers we're going to be like, okay, there's some truth to that, but that doesn't, that doesn't give the whole answer, right? So evil results when human beings fail to pursue the knowledge of good and exercise it. So essentially it's laziness to pursue the good, which is kind of mm-hmm. the logos God himself. Um, it's that that causes evil, and and guys like Augustine would kind of pick up on it a little bit. Aquinas picks up on that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and that's significant, right? To say evil, evil is not its own tangible entity; mm. it is a deprivation mm-hmm. of goodness, right? Right. So it's it's the void of good. Mm-hmm. That's what evil is, right? And Christians get that wrong, right? A lot of times we we look at this thing and we're like, oh, this pitting of good and evil, right? Um, to some degree, there are proponents of evil mm-hmm. that are enemies. Uh, it's not an equal playing field of peers against each other right. in this in, in this forever struggle, who's going to win in the end kind of a thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's Gnosticism. That's not Christianity. Right, right. So... So recognizing evil as the deprivation, the the void or an absence mm-hmm. of good mm-hmm. is uh, pretty profound. Yeah. So there's others who would say that evil is just an illusion. Um, the people who would promote this in our modern day culture are those who do Christian science, which, as we mentioned before last year, Christian science is neither Christian nor scientific. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would say suffering and disease only appear to be real, but are all just illusions, um, which is just... The Bible says Jesus suffered. Yeah, yeah. And critics critics yeah. all say, like, well, then why would God create an illusion of evil and suffering? Like, why? Yeah. That just doesn't make any sense. That falls apart. But just so you know what they believe. Um, can, you, can you imagine counseling someone who's like, I'm struggling? But No, you're not. I got cancer. Well, it's not actually cancer. You think you're struggling. You're not struggling. It's just an illusion. But my child died. <laughs> nah. Obviously, that's an observable fact. That happened, but you're not really struggling over this. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, there's people who would say, well, what if what if God just isn't good? What if he's What if he's just evil? What if God is just evil and enjoys, you know, seeing his creatures suffer? Uh, which is pretty twisted, but some people have argued for that kind of thing. I mean, that was that's in part what you know some of um, some of the pagan gods were like. Oh, like they, absolutely, they, right. That's kind of a pagan view of like gods who would just like create and then just like play games, 
right? Yeah, I, I would say that's absolutely the pagan perspective, right? And and then the notion of sacrifice being you have to suffer on your own of your own will mm. in order to appease that God. Right. Right? This God enjoys suffering. Mm-hmm. And so you create enough suffering by creating loss for yourself, mm-hmm. pain for yourself. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe you'll get that God to leave you alone. Right, yeah, yeah. Not even come alongside you, but to leave you alone. Whereas in Isaiah chapter 1, God is very clear to say to his people, this was never about the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want for the blood of animals. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is about. Where's your heart in this, right? Mm-hmm. Like this mm-hmm. is about a relationship. For sure, for sure. So when we get to like, Christian arguments, and I kind of I'll use this broadly. Um, Christian arguments for the goodness of God or the omnipotence of God in the face of evil are called theodicies. Mm-hmm. So it just has its own special word, a theodicy, which is an argument that vindicates God's goodness and power in view of the existence of evil. And there's there's some different ones. Um, there's something called the cruciform theodicy, which as I was reading into it. It seemed to start good and then kind of went off the rails a bit. Yeah. Um, so it emphasizes that Christ became a suffering servant to in order to identify with humanity. Awesome. I'm there. Mm-hmm. And it sees the incarnation and the crucifixion as the culmination of a series of things that brings that that where like the divine love of God, the divine person of God unites itself with the material world. Mm-hmm. I'm there. And he re- he unites himself in order to to show empathy, so he can sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses. Um, and then you know, recognizing the value of creation because he's willing to suffer for it in order to redeem it. Um, it then gets into this weird thing though, where when addressing kind of the personal suffering of people, it's like yes, and then through your own suffering for those who have been suppressed, you can um, bring them up and. It, <laughs> It gets into like almost like a you can forgive other people's sins kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And and then I'm like, well, who's promoted this? And it's it's liberation theology, liberal Christianity. Yeah, so, so, so what they've done there is they've taken a reasonable and historic truth yeah. or, or, or theodicy because that theodicy is used historically – and what they've done is they've created an application to it, right? So liberation theology uh, is only as old as like 60s, 70s, 1960s, 1970s, I think it like started a little bit earlier, but it didn't like pick up steam until like... Yeah. yeah. And so so I, I would say that's not necessarily where the argument goes. That's where some have taken an application of the argument to go. Uh, but even at that, where where I find that argument to fall short is that Christ would even need to come and suffer alongside us at all. Right. Right? So, Other yes, he's the, doing something about it, but why is there a thing that he needs to do something about? Right. I it, think that would be the argument. It's where against. Jesus kind of becomes an example rather right. than the atonement, right? Or offering himself as the atonement. Right. It, it When people say, why do we suffer? And you would say, Jesus also suffered— that doesn't answer the question, why do we suffer? Yeah, for sure. No, I, I would agree. Um, the other one that kind of misses the mark is the process theodicy. Because what pro, the process theodicy does is it 
it argues that God um, creates a world, chooses to create beings with free will, and because of that, his hands are just totally tied. He's like, well, I gave him free will, so now I'm done. So we'll see how this whole thing plays out. Hopefully, hopefully, right. it, you know, it, it's a God who is not omnipotent, who's not even necessarily omniscient. Um, he might still be omnibenevolent. He had the best intentions, mm-hmm. but oh, look, people are doing stuff, and mm, what can I do about it? I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck, you know. Right. Um, open theism. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So open theism is like um, God standing at the top of the hill pushes the boulder down the hill, and just like the rest of us, he's waiting to see what's going to happen. What do you think? You. I have a mouthful of brownie. I waited until he took a mouthful of that was great. brownie to throw that out. Yeah, so so that's open theism. That's um, that's problematic on a number of levels. One, it assumes God's not in control now, which means it's pointless for you to pray to him. Right, yeah. He's not omnipotent, nor is he omniscient, mm-hmm. right? So he's not the God that we've defended to this point. Uh, and, and also, our hope that he will fulfill his plan of redemption as he promised according to his good pleasure is entirely up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. So the next one is the, the, sorry. And in fact, what it does is it actually plays to the side of the atheist who would say, see, he cannot be the thrice omni God. Right, right, right. He might be some kind of supernatural being, but he's not, he's not God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's the free will defense where, so God gives human beings a will to choose good or evil. And so we're free to do wrong. So for God to prevent all evil by totally erasing the will of man would be him taking away what makes us human and what, mm-hmm. what makes us being made in his image. And so I think there's there's some truth to this. Again, I, I don't think it provides a full answer. It doesn't answer natural evil. No, but no, it doesn't. You're right. So it doesn't stand, can't stand alone. But the idea is that a world that contains... Free creatures, beings who are morally capable to choose right and wrong, is more valuable than one that doesn't. Again, I'm not not totally there. Um, it's kind of based on this idea that was originally put forward by a guy named Gottfried Leibniz and his argument that this is the best possible world, even though it doesn't feel that way. Because <clears throat> mm-hmm. we could say, well, what about a world where, you know, my friend didn't have to die of cancer. That For me, that would be a better world, right? But he says, in the big picture, this is the best possible way things could play out. Um, so he would know in advance that there are times that no matter what, no matter what the circumstances are, and all, you know, poss- we're getting into this possible worlds thing again, you know, uh, as long as we have that ability to, the ability to either be obedient or to sin, we're going to make, bad choices we are going to sin right we're going to fall short and so creating a world where there's no possibility for evil to even exist it just wouldn't it just wouldn't work with the idea of us um us as human beings and our capacity for evil that's interesting as a christian argument that feels like a a sound secular argument i know but for the christian argument it has no hope of redemption. I know. It's like uh, where where's my hope for God to create a world where tears are no more, where it, my sin no longer tugs at me and I live in perfect harmony with creator and creation, right? Um that's the best possible world and I think that I think 
we intrinsically understand that to be true, mm-hmm. or we wouldn't be having the question, why does evil exist? Right. And I think too, like my my big beef with with that view is that if the best possible world is one where we are capable of evil, why are we not capable of evil in the new heavens and the new earth? Right. So so again, so right? And then why would why would Adam and Eve fall like it's it's just it's very best life now. It's it is, and so anyway, so I don't don't love that one, but it is a very popular one, um, unfortunately. Uh, Thomas Aquinas was into the afterlife answer. It's really this his is really simple actually, and I and I think again it doesn't doesn't fully answer the question, but it addresses it right. The afterlife is eternal, while human life is short. Eternity is the greater good that justifies the evil and suffering in this world, mm-hmm. right? So. We're, we get so focused on the pain and the suffering in the here and now that are real things, that are terrible things. But our lack of perspective makes us think that, well, obviously this whole thing that God has created, you know, is just so broken and so terrible. But we, we forget that it is being redeemed and we forget that, you know, we have an eternity ahead of ourselves that is infinitely better than this. And so this is just a short term situation i would say for some that's true and for some that is the reason for suffering Mm -hmm. i I mentioned earlier that at the individual level you're able to look and say would i be more prone to cry out to god and to seek him if i didn't have struggle in my life and i know the answer for that is no Mm -hmm. uh but again we'll just brush it off because no one's answering the problem of natural evil in these theodicies. Right. Uh, so no answer for natural evil. And also it presumes two things. It presumes uh, that one is going to live long enough to have received and processed the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And therefore their struggling leads them to God and that they become a worshiper of God they have the hope of the eternal, which is the better, mm. right? Uh, not all will live long enough to have the cognitive capacity to process the gospel, um, and not all will receive right. the gospel. And so <clears throat> I, I think I think that's kind of a first-world answer from privilege. Right. And it was from Aquinas who was living, at least at the time— wasn't necessarily an easy time to be alive, yeah. but it was an at least on the surface an overwhelmingly Christian society in which mm-hmm. he lived, right? Um, yeah. So there's also the the soul making theodicy. Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> the challenges of life improve us, right? So like we are not full grown, right? Mm-hmm. And over time like the challenges and the hardships and the pains of life that might come from moral evil or might come from natural evil, right? Those things refine us and mature us uh, in a way that God wants wants to happen, right? So we almost, we, we grow through struggle and pain um, and we almost, there's a sense in, in which we kind of need a broken world. There, there is some, there's some very real scriptural support for that. James, yeah. right? J- James 1 talks about that. Uh, Romans 5 talks about that, right? There, there, are, there are, you know, there's stuff in the Proverbs that, that hints at that as well. Um, that, you know, count it all joy 
my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, right? That that whole thing, it's it's definitely connected to the problem of evil. Again, it's not like it doesn't explain everything, but at least for the, in the life of the believer, um, it helps us kind of it it creates a bit of a, a lens of like God is using these 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 terrible things. He's using the pain and the suffering to refine us. Yeah, this is this is hugely promoted by a modern day philosopher and American Idol winner Kelly Clarkson. Um, the notion of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But that's not always true. Right. Sometimes it leaves you maimed. Sure. Yeah. Right? Um I I, I think this is very much like the the previous one in that it presumes that you live long enough to receive the gospel. Mm. Um and that you would receive the gospel. Mm-hmm. And and from that lens be able to understand how these things cause us to cry out to God. Mm-hmm. That is a point of privilege for the believer. Sure. That doesn't exist for others mm-hmm. who still need the question answered then. Yeah. What about the child? What about mm-hmm. natural evil? Right. Those kinds of things. Right? So <clears throat> so it, it still remains a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um are you at the end of it? Are we going to do a wrap up or you I got mean, some more? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 we can do more. What we're left with, I mean, is like the reality is that like the brokenness of the world is caused by sin. Mm-hmm. Like it's punishment. You, yeah. it's, it's not not necessarily on an individual level. Like it's not. I'm not saying that the earthquakes in Turkey are be, are the result of people in Turkey sin. I hate it when people do that. Yeah, no, that's not it. But but in a greater sense. All pain, all suffering that exists in the world is the result of sin. Mm-hmm. And not in a direct line you're connected to, like, that the consequences directly affect you like because of your personal sin. But human sin as a whole is the result of the brokenness of the, of the universe as a whole. And nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, if you... But that's just true. You're ever listening to anyone who, who just needs to presume that every disaster, every presence of evil in... Um, some sort of exponential form is a Sodom and Gomorrah moment. Mm-hmm. Those people must have this thing going on. We're digging skeletons out of the closet to try to figure out exactly what it is that they were doing that God had to cause this. Just turn them off and never turn them on yeah. again. Yeah. Because they just don't get it. It's, it's, it's possible in certain circumstances, but that is only known to God. God causes he, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Yeah, yeah. Right? There, there is no promise in this life that the those who are in Christ are going to be in a special way kept from the troubles of life, and those who are apart from God are going to be led to a greater suffering in this life, mm-hmm. right? That just doesn't exist inside of New Testament theology, yeah. right? Some in Old Testament theology, because... God is using a physical kingdom with physical reward to teach a spiritual truth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Doesn't exist inside of New Testament theology. Those things we come to learn were a shadow, an object lesson of a greater spiritual truth. Mm-hmm. And in that greater spiritual truth, those things don't exist, Yeah, right? So write those teachings off and maybe even the teacher as a whole mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. because it is, not only is it, can, is it unwarranted condemnation on those people? 
-hmm. it's also self-aggrandizing. Right, right. Because I should be in that earthquake. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? No, totally. Uh, Yeah, here's where I'm left with it. Mm -hmm. Logically, it's dismissible. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, being dismissed. Mm -hmm. But this question is rarely asked as a logical. This question is asked as something that is morally troubling. Mm -hmm. That is personal, oftentimes comes with examples. When a person brings an example, they're showing you a thing that they're struggling with at their core. Mm -hmm. I would say to the believer who's struggling with this thing Mm -hmm. at their core, look to David. Mm. Throughout the Psalms, David brings the problem of evil to God. Mm -hmm. Why? For how long? Mm -hmm. I've, I've been, to the best of my ability, righteous and seeking you. Yet, look around me. So David brings it to God mm-hmm. and then leave it to God. Yeah. David leaves it to God, mm-hmm. right? Bring it to God, leave it to God. He says, why all of this struggle? Yet, you alone are good. Mm-hmm. You're my sanctuary, and it's in you that I trust. Mm-hmm. That's a summation of basically every psalm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, so we bring it to God and we leave it to God. That's what it means to live in trust and in faith and in hope. Right, we we have to be careful. I I understand that it doesn't ask the question, why did he ever allow Adam and Eve? Why didn't he just clean it up from the beginning? Mm-hmm. Why is he still allowing these things to happen? Why is it unfolding the way that it's unfolding? Mm-hmm. A lot of those questions for the believer, we just have to realize what we're doing is we're assuming that our answers are better than God's, Mm -hmm. that our ways are higher, Mm -hmm. and we're not leaving it to God. Mm -hmm. We might be bringing it to God, but we're not leaving it to God. Mm -hmm. We're not trusting in Him. Mm -hmm. You know, we may say on a Sunday morning, uh, your steadfast love is greater than life. Mm -hmm. Your faithfulness Mm -hmm. is as... Um, is like the rising of the sun, all of these things. Um, and then we turn around, we're like, well, where are you at on this one? Mm. Right? Either that's his nature or it's not. Right. right. And, and can I answer the question of, as a, as a philosophical notion, um, it doesn't disprove God to say he has a method for going about being all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving because he is addressing the problem mm-hmm. through redemption. Mm-hmm. All right? So logically, it's dismissible from a Christian worldview. Emotionally, the only come against I can have is why did he choose this process and not another process? Mm-hmm. That doesn't disprove God. It questions God's authority. Mm. And it questions God's love. Yeah, and And our role as worshipers is to say i'm trusting the process and i'm trusting you Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i I just would close with this is like we've talked about the problem of evil as a as a philosophical argument but the thing that i was struck by as as we were preparing this this podcast was that less of the the problem of evil as a as a philosophical 
argument, but more as it just being an actual problem. The fact that evil exists in this world Mm -hmm. is an ongoing problem that is very real. And what can we do about that? And like, instead of getting too bogged down with, you know, the philosophical justifications and trying to rationalize it and all this, understanding that Christianity is the only worldview that actually solves that problem, that Jesus comes to solve that problem himself, takes on human flesh, right? Fulfills the law on our behalf, suffers and dies, carries the, you know, the weight of our sins, rises from the dead and is coming back to make all things new. That is the solution to the problem of evil. Absolutely. And 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 in all we can and we can argue till the cows come home about you know a, a hypothetical god who would do things or not do things a certain way if atheists want to ask us these questions but the reality is until people come to that understanding and have faith in that none of it's going to make sense anyways mm-hmm. and so ultimately apologetics is great evangelism is better um and that's i think where we need to be leading people and using opportunities when people come to ask those questions to get there and not just, yeah. not just, you know, not just pull apart their arguments, you know, um, but actually, actually lead them to the truth. Yeah, and I, I'm convinced that when it comes to the problem of evil, the solutions that I've put forth are better for the personal apologetic, mm-hmm. dealing with it in our own heart mm-hmm. um, as believers. Mm-hmm. It's going to be less effective for someone who doesn't believe, mm-hmm. because they've not come to know a relationship with this God. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way that their eyes are ever going to be open to that as a solution is that they're going to have to be in that relationship. Yeah. They're going to have to, received his, have to have received His grace and mercy, and even then you're not going to satisfy the question, why did He choose to go about it this way? Right. He did. Mm-hmm. And... That he did doesn't disprove him, but mm-hmm. I can't tell you why he did. Yeah. And his primary motivation is his own glory. We have to get rip our eyes and minds off of this like eternally man-centric view of the universe to a God-centric one. Mm-hmm. He loves us. He cares for us. I mean, Christ, Christ on the cross is the ultimate example of that. But first and foremost, he is concerned with his own glory. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard pill to swallow for us. But I think it's hard for us to swallow because... People would look to that and say that that's cold and self-seeking, mm-hmm. but he is glorified by his goodness being displayed throughout all of creation. Mm. So as he glorifies himself, we are the chief benefactors of that glory. Mm-hmm. We are not pawns by which he is going to show his power Mm-hmm. by saying look at how many i can crush all at once right i think right. i think that's that's the necessary balance in understanding why god's pursuit of his own glory is a good thing right. for us right right that's why that's why the reform quip is always for your glory and our benefit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right all right Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. I'm going to go eat a whole plate of (laughs) brownies. Riley, so good.